Hey there everyone, it's Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Inspired Banking, a Hyosung podcast. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Thank you so much for joining us here in the studio. We've got another exciting conversation for you today that's breaking down some very important trends and technologies affecting one niche aspect of the banking ecosystem, which I'll dive into here in a little bit. But before we get into the meat, I wanna make sure that you're all caught up on some previous Hyosung content because we've got a lot of great conversations, including ones with our guests who I'll introduce here in a little bit uh, that you definitely need to be caught up on. So make sure you're heading to our website, hyosungamericas.com. Again, that's hyosungamericas with an S, dot com. There you'll find previous episodes of the show, as well as other content like articles, videos, blogs, research, white papers, you name it. You can also find more information on our solutions and services, of course, on the website. And make sure you're subscribing to Inspired Banking on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new episodes. So, on today's episode of the show, no more teasing, let's jump into it. We're honing in on one segment of the banking service ecosystem, and this is an area where innovative technology is creating not only a frictionless customer experience, which as we all know is paramount in today's uh, economy and in the banking industry specifically, but it's also an ease on resources uh, and an ease on, I guess, the burden of omni-channel service that's rising with this trend of digital-first banking. And so the area that I'm speaking of is the drive-up, an important part of the banking ecosystem. And as we've explored on the podcast before, the banking world is increasingly adopting and standardizing digital-first banking strategies. So we wanted to pose the question, where does the drive-up fit into this digital-first world as we reimagine the role of the brick-and-mortar bank location? And where do technology solutions, like automated solutions, inform that role as well as inform the strategies for drive-up success in today's environment? So with the conversation today, we're going to be uh, understanding the intersections between our industry's current trends, between the drive-up ecosystem, and how automation technology is changing the scope of success for the brick-and-mortar side of the banking industry. So for insights today, I'm pleased to welcome our guest, Mr. Bill Buddy. He's Vice President of Banking Strategy and Solutions at Hyosung. Bill, great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always good to sit down in studio and pick your brain on some important topics. So it's good to get you back in here. How have things been since our last conversation? Oh, you know, pretty uh, pretty busy actually. A lot, yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of movement going on with uh, you know changes in um, digital currencies, mm. the, the kind of proliferation of different types, that kind of stuff, and and reactions to bringing them into kind of the mainstream from an accessibility perspective. Very cool. Um, a lot of movement in kind of reactions to self-service and, and customers having kind of settled into a, a, a self-service style of, of interaction with a lot of the, the businesses that they deal with. Sure. Um, whether it's a bank or whether it's a restaurant or whether it's a, a convenience store or whatever. Um, so, so that's kind of really kind of changing the way kind of we view or we're thinking about how we kind of bring products to market and, and the solutions that we, that we bring that, that help solve those problems. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the world of digital assets, I'm sure, is going to oh, continue yes. to have a massive impact on the industry. Uh, there was some recent news um, out of Europe, actually. Uh, the EU passed some new regulations on um, crypto mining mm, in, yeah. in Europe uh, that is sure to introduce a layer of sustainability standards, which, of course, adds another layer of 
how do we even take on these assets? How do we make sure that we on the receiving end or the managing end of these assets are also, uh, you know, uh, ecologically compliant, right? Sure. So <laughs> that's a topic for another another uh, podcast. Yes, it is. Yes, it <laughs> is. We could spend yeah. an hour on just that one. Um, but yeah, good to know things are good and staying busy. Uh, so since our last conversation and as a pulse check for the industry, I want to, I guess, kind of rehash some of where we're at in this larger timeline of digital first banking and banking's adoption of digital first services. So give us that pulse check. Where are things at today? Well, yeah, I, I, it, that's a that's a great point. And as I was kind of talking about with customers, with kind of all of the businesses that they interact sure. with, um, in banking, uh, very true that um, more and more um, financial institutions are really uh, expanding the the offerings that they provide to customers, um, and expanding in a couple of ways. Expanding one, um, you know, multiple channels, right? Where uh, it, Typically, it used to be that there was one way you could do something with a bank, and sometimes it was digital and sometimes it was in person, but there was really kind of one way to do each task, and um, it, it, that's really kind of proliferated into kind of multi-access trying to meet the customer where they are, um, which has really just been over the last couple of years uh, in response to the kind of the changing environment. Uh, and then on top of that, that, that creates then an effect where you have all these uh, self-service capabilities and self-service uh, um, channels or, or touch points that customers can, can use, whether they're at home on their couch, through their um, PC, right. uh, whether they're on their mobile phone, whether they're actually at a physical location but using a self-service kiosk to, to do some physical fulfillment. Um, it, it's becoming more and more of a kind of need to have as opposed to a nice to have right. um, when delivering banking services to customers. Right. I'm curious then how that, you know, that crest over the nice to have to need to have territory, how's that impacting customer behavior, specifically how they interact with physical bank chains? Um, because yes, naturally, digital first banking creates a lot of luxuries of being able to manage all these transactions from your car, mm -hmm. from your home, from the bathtub, right? So yeah. <laughs> uh, where does that shift create some new interactions or just a, a different um, a different customer behavior and interaction with the physical chain um, well so it's it's interesting how that kind of is is continuing to evolve right and um, I think the the biggest thing you see is for the basic transactional stuff customers are more, more and more and more likely to choose to self-serve yeah. even if it requires physical fulfillment because they need cash or they need to make a cash deposit or they need uh, to deposit a check or whatever. Um, you see more and more choice of doing that in a self-service manner, whether it's through an ATM or through a kiosk at a branch um, or through a remote ATM or um, with checks even on the mobile phones with digital capture. Um, and a much more of the kind of in-person interaction is really centered around the, the deeper style of, uh, uh, of needs for customers like opening a, a, a new line of credit on their home equity um, or fulfilling a mortgage or getting an auto loan or um, you know opening a retirement account and setting up your investments correctly um, th those are those are kind of uh, they're bigger you know bigger impact financially on a, on a person's life right um, and it really is something that is a personal thing that really um, the human nature really kind of drives towards that human interaction to do it. They're not to say that 
that it never happens in a self-service. There's plenty of, uh, of self-service in that area as well, but uh, there's a lot more of that personal interaction there where customers are much more likely to, to really want to sit down with somebody right. and talk through it. But they're significantly less likely to need to sit down to talk to somebody about depositing $20 into their account. Right. Because right? um, it, it has become a convenience where they can do it on the go, where they can you know, do it passing by whatever ATM they happen to pass by, whether it's in an airport on the way to catch a flight or whether it's right. at a convenience store. Um, it, it has the, the past couple of years where they've learned that those things exist, now they know that they, those channels exist and they're much more likely to use them because it is a convenience factor. Right. So that introduces sort of an, an interesting, I don't know, paradox maybe, right? Where digital first banking pushes most um, small transactions to happen digitally because of that convenience, right? Mm -hmm. Then it pushes the uh, physical chains to take on more of the, you know, the big picture, I need to take out a loan, I need to speak to a financial advisor, stuff that's more personable, um, more interactive, and you need that human touch point. And the bank chains in the past have used the drive up as a method for bringing that convenience and that self-service to the customer. So now if a lot of that self-service is being ingested just on their mobile device or on their computer or tablet, what role then do you see the drive up playing in this ecosystem of digital first banking and in providing a specific kind of convenience the customer is still looking for? Well, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, a great way to kind of um, kind of think about dividing it out a little bit, right? Yeah. And uh, when it comes to kind of that transactional set, uh, I kind of think of it in two categories. There's the, the, the transactional set that you don't need a f physical fulfillment on. And then the other side of that, the other side of that coin is the even though it's a basic transaction, you, there's still some level of physical fulfillment. And by that, I mean basically those pieces of paper with green ink on them that right. are legal tender, right? Um, oh, those guys. You, yeah, you, right. you, you can't withdraw $100 while you're sitting on your couch on your mobile phone, right? Right. So you do require some level of, of fulfillment there. And um, in the kind of pre-digital first days, that was, that was a lot of the in-person traffic in branches, and it was operationally in, inefficient um, because it wasn't, it wasn't anything that was moving the business forward. It was just doing a, an operational task that had a whole bunch of controls around it because it was dealing with money. You had to, right. you had to, you know, count your base amount of money at the beginning of the day. You have to count out the transaction a couple times to make sure it's right. You got to count down your leftover money at the end of the day. You got to reconcile the two. If you're out of balance, whether you miscounted or whether you actually lost some money or whatever out of balance reason, um, then you've got to figure out why you're out of balance. And there's all these processes around this inefficient process that also make it even more inefficient. Right. right? Um, and that would happen whether it was inside the branch or through a drive-up lane with like the vacuum tubes and the drive-up windows or whatever, um, which is makes it even more efficient because now you're waiting on cars to drive by where if, if it's inside a branch, you can have people do multiple things um, however they're going to talk to a customer. But if, if a customer is driving through the drive-up lane, they've come for a transaction. Um, when, as you start to see kind of digitization get added to uh, a lot of other transactional capabilities, um, that comes in the form on the physical fulfillment side in the ATM space as well, where um, now you can do all those transactions at an ATM, whether it's a through the wall or whether it's a drive up or whether it's inside the branch. Um, and the first step there was you started to see just some ATMs pop up in the drive up lane. But there's still, you know, ATMs were kind of simple, do a withdrawal or do a deposit, and, and that's it, off to your basic basic account, and that's it, right? 
So over the last couple of years, um, we've really been working with a lot of our customers to really kind of expand that to be much more full functional. Instead of just being able to access your checking and savings on an automation device and have to talk to a person in the drive-up lane through a vacuum tube or through the window to do anything more complex like withdrawing from your home equity line of credit or paying a bill or whatever, right. um, we've worked to connect that ATM into the entire bank's banking system. So now you can use that ATM as a portal into your entire relationship with the bank and make a payment on an auto loan or right. withdraw money from a home equity line of credit without having to have um, a person there to just count the money out for you because the machine can take care of all that too. Right. Um, so now as, as the, it becomes more and more capable, now you have less and less need for having to have a person stationed there waiting for cars to drive up. Right. Um, and then you can even start to add some video capabilities into that where you can um, get it to the point where now almost every single thing that a person would ever have shown up in the drive-through for can be handled through this portal into the bank nice. that is kind of in the box of the ATM basically. It's, right. You know, it can do the physical fulfillments, it can access any of the accounts in the relationship for the customer. And if there's something that is a little confusing um, or requires a higher level of authority, uh, you can bring in a person over a video channel to do a quick authentication or to answer a quick question yeah. and then go back through the transaction and finish it up. So, so now you've got a situation where instead of having those old school vacuum tubes out there, you can put a, a device that can fulfill everything that that vacuum tube used to do, but do it in a much more efficient manner. Right. Without the need for the human touch point at all. Um, for the most part, yes. Right. And if yeah. you do need a, a touch point, you can have a centralized group of folks right. that handle a lot more locations than having to have one person sit there and wait and play Candy Crush on their phone if there's no cars right. coming up. Right. Because it would act more like, let's say, a, a call center queue, right? Someone queues up, oh, they would like video service. Cool. Exactly. The video service team and the video service hub connects to their webcam and then, hi, great to, you know, great to see you. Bob Jones, how you doing? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and if the person doesn't even, it needs help with the transaction, that remote person can also manage the device too. Right. Oh, you wanted $1,000, let me tell the machine to give you $1,000. Right. So, okay, I, I love these ideal use cases mm -hmm. that you've broken down and I, I think it speaks to why it's important for convenience to be flexible based on the need of the customer, right? So you lay out a machine, a platform, a, 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 a software that enables the customer to basically, depending on how much interaction they need or how much convenience they need, the machine will be able to handle that and the drive-up will be able to handle that. Great. Now, how does all of that intersect with how the customer is interacting with or going to the drive-up in the first place, right? Are the reasons why they're going to the drive-up the same as they were pre-pandemic? Are, are there any other sort of underlying trends that are intersecting with the tech solutions? Um, so uh, that's that's a good question. Um, the, very similar. Um, that the as I kind of mentioned in passing a little bit ago, but like if a customer is making the choice to stay in their car and drive through that drive up lane at a bank, yeah, it's it's because they don't have something super complicated to talk about, but they do have something that they need a little bit of fulfillment on even if it's not money if it's like a they need a form or they need checks or they need they need to do something that required them to get more than just log in online and, and move money from one account to another or pay a bill online right sure um, and that hasn't changed a lot 
if it's more complicated than that, people are still going to want to go inside and talk to someone face to face. And if it's not requiring physical fulfillment, um, they're going to stay home and do it on mobile or do it online. Mm. Um, if anything, they're a little more likely to figure out that they might not have needed to go drive through and they can stay home um, because those digital channels, the, the mobile and internet banking digital channels have gotten significantly more uh, effective as well. So you see, uh, you, but you still see kind of that same group of people that are coming through that, you know, they, they need to deposit their cash because they've got the, they, they got their tips that day, um, you know, from the, from the waitressing job or the bartending job, or they've got to withdraw money because they need to give a gift to a niece or a nephew or what have you. Sure. Or they need to pay cash for something, right? <laughs> Excuse me. So um, those needs are still there. Those needs haven't changed. If anything, um, we are seeing fewer transactions happen, but the transactions will generally be larger. So people are going less often and getting more money at a, at a time because right. they're using kind of the same amount of cash. You're still seeing cash used for those small in-person transactions. You still see people, you know, pay for a pack of gum at the convenience store with cash instead of putting 97 cents on your card. Interesting. Yeah, so it's almost my bi-weekly chore to go and grab my cash for the next two weeks rather than every time you need cash, oh, well, the only convenience I have for my banking is the drive-up window. Right. Now, all that convenience happens on the phone, so if you need cash, it's just a little easier to bake in that period when you need it, yeah. And, and to be sure, that like there's a lot of people who are going more and more cashless, but sure. the amount of cash in circulation now is more than it was last year, which was more than it was the year before, which is more than it was the year before. Like it's risen every year right. this century um, in the U.S. So it's something that, um, you know, e even logically when you think about all that pandemic and the in-person interactions kind of went away for a while and now they're coming back and, you know, people are reverting to some old habits there and how they make payments. Um, combined with the fact that you still have a very large um, portion of, of folks who are unbanked and underbanked and they use cash for um, the bulk of their um their transactions, right? Um, and it's still the the most reliable way to budget if you really have a budgeting problem. You know the old envelope method, where you say, "This is how much money I have for food this month." Like people uh, still I could do that, use that, right? Honestly. And it's and it's uh, significantly um, more structured than trying to use an online budgeting tool, where you can it gives you the ping saying, "Oh, you're over budget," but it doesn't. Yeah. Well, when you're, you're when if you're out envelope's of green empty, notes, your yeah. envelope's empty, right? So <laughs> exactly. um, people still rely on on that to, to keep a tight budget. Sometimes. Right. So um, there there's still a, a, a lot of usage in different parts of the economy um, for large amounts of cash, and and you still have reasons why you need to either deposit them in the bank. Maybe you're a small business and you have your receipts for the day, or or to get that from the bank, or to um, have to take you know other types of documentation or whatever right. that, that requires physical fulfillment. So let's connect the dots with automation technology specifically. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you did mention a lot of ideal use cases for the drive up, mm -hmm. and some of those I think are pretty straightforward to understand where automation fits in. But I think it's important to define what automation means in practice, um, because it doesn't always mean literally zero human touch point. In a lot of ways, it's more of a, a hybrid role. In some ways, it does remove the human completely. So can you expand on that a bit and explain for our audience what automation at the drive up actually would look like and what technology is proving itself to be the most valuable. Yeah, so, and and not to simplify it too much, but it kind of looks like the ATM, right? Like your traditional ATM, what you think. Um, but then a little bit under the covers is it, it's more sophisticated than either traditional ATM placements in that it 
provides that window to everything. Right. Like, um, it, it, like as an example, like one of the things that kind of shocked me early when I started working in, in bank branches was the number of people who actually showed up in person to a bank to pay their mortgage bill. We, like I do that online, I do that on auto pay. Like, and, and it's not something that I would have thought was, because in my personal experience, that's the way I did it, that's what I thought was easiest. So you know, my frame of reference was that's what people do. And when you get out into the, you know, the law of large numbers where you have this large population, you're gonna have segments that do it different ways. And there's a, a whole bunch of people that come in to a bank branch to pay their credit card bill or right. their mortgage bill or whatever. And um, when you have the sophistication on that old school ATM that now allows it to do more than just access your checking account to withdraw money, but also allows you to pay a bill or allows you to withdraw from a line of credit um, without having to talk to somebody to do that because it's directly uh, connected to your, to, to your banking system. Um, you can take that technology that makes those simple withdrawals and deposits very efficient and extend it to more complex withdrawals and deposits like bill payments and, and line of credit withdrawals and make them more efficient as well. Not just at the time of the transaction because you're not having to have a person sit there and count out stuff, but right. in the overall management of the amount of money that's coming in and going out as well because now you don't have to, to reconcile uh, and manually count it every single day because of you know the, the processes that are put there to uh, counteract human error because the devices taking care of the counting and the sorting and the storage of uh, of that money the menial uh, stuff exactly yeah. and and now you're the the human resources that the bank has are much more devoted to the 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 richer stuff the relationship building with a customer the even the, just the simple service stuff with the customer i say simple but service can be complex but sure. the the stuff that um, just helps customers deal with the bank or, or interact with the bank without having to count pieces of paper all the time. Right? Right. Um, it becomes about meeting the customer and giving them what they need as opposed to showing the customer the top of their head while they're counting a bunch of pieces of paper. Right. As much as they might have a nice head of hair. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly <you know. laughs> I love it. Um, so, I mean, you kind of already mentioned the domino effects on the workforce, but if you had to hone in more specifically uh, you know, let's take a traditional role that would have to keep the drive up in mind in some mm -hmm, capacity. Sure. They're either at the window or they have to do some of the behind the scenes, under the hood, mm -hmm. refilling of cash, et cetera. How do those roles shift, if not sort of disappear and get replaced completely with new roles when you integrate automation at scale for the drive up? Well, so yeah, at, at scale, um, when you kind of integrate the the automation and the connection into your banking system as well as um, providing that kind of video outlet for the exception cases or what have you. Um, now you can um, kind of, I mean centralize is kind of an overused word, but it really kind of describes it. You centralize the workforce that that is providing the specific uh, human uh, interaction needs for that channel. Um, and you can do it in a much more efficient manner because it's like like you like you were describing earlier. It's like that call center where the next call comes in um, and goes to the next available person. So you yeah. can potentially have ten people that are um, servicing twenty five different drive up lanes across the bank's footprint. And you can't do that with twenty five physical locations. You have to have right. twenty five people, um, and traffic ebbs and flows. And you, you're, so you're going to have some people there that might 
not have anything to do for a while until the next car comes in or the next three cars come in or whatever. Right. Um, and then you know, the, the flip side of that coin too then is the people that are in those locations, um, now they get to go do other things at that location. Um, or they don't have to be there, right? Depending on uh, if that person with the great resignation stuff going on or whatever, that person right. chooses to go to a different job, you don't have to replace a person that has left for a different job, potentially because you can centralize it like that. Right. Um, but if, but if, you, if that person's staying, they can also be repositioned re to be more of a kind of customer-facing, service-providing and relationship-building role as opposed to an operational role. Um, and uh, the, the kind of the, the add-on effect there is, um, in general, that, that creates a less stressful job for that person too because in, the, in that pre-automation where they're the ones who are counting and sorting and storing the money, um, if their money is out of balance a couple times in a month, they get fired, right? Um, that's like the core competency of that person is counting correctly and storting it correctly. Right. And now with the, with the stress of having to always be within balance every day removed, it makes it a, 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 a less stressful environment, a less kind of, you know, oh my gosh, did I get that right or did I not? Was there an extra piece of paper in there? Was an extra bill in there? Right. Or did I, am I out of balance again? Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Um, that stress is removed and it can make it a, a more enjoyable work environment for that population of folks too, which then leads to a better service environment for the customers that are walking in because those folks are now enjoying their, their, their less stressful jobs a little more. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think customers can tell when they're interacting with a professional who you know, is in a, a better headspace about the work they're doing sure. too. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's not even to put a lot of that onus on the professional as well because you know yeah if the work is menial and tough you know yeah I, I, <laughs> I get it like I get how that can yeah. have an impact on the psyche and your attitude at work and uh, you know whether uh, you know the, the bank chain you know uh, likes it or not like that is a lot of times the front face that a customer uh, you know associates with the bank right it's not how, how pretty was the setup how you know how easy was the service but like when i talked to a person was that a positive experience and if it was a bad one that sticks really yeah, very <laughs> um really concretely with people so and if their jobs yeah. are less stressful and more enjoyable they're going to be less likely to leave which exactly. means you have less expense training new hires that are replacements so um it, it kind of really has a lot of knock-on benefits totally a lot of great domino effects there that especially as every industry looks at the customer experience mm -hmm. as uh, you know, the, the core driver of this experience economy that's, that's driving many industries forward. Um, I think it's yeah, just a great note to hammer home on that. Uh, but just to pivot back to the technologies, sure. are there any specific pieces of tech that you think are worth investing in? I know you kind of mentioned um, almost a black box style solution ATM. I know that's uh, where Hyosung really um, mm -hmm. you know, puts its eggs in, you know, that proverbial sure. basket. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious if you had to break down specific technologies, do you have any recommendations on how bank chains should strategize around which ones to implement over others? You know, shouldn't they even view it that way? Is like, oh, we gotta just make strategic siloed investments. Should it be a larger ecosystem conversation? What do you see there? Well, so yeah, that's a that's a, a great point to kind of bring around to, um, like, uh, and you know, every bank has 
ATMs, right? So they're kind of already out there and doing, you know, for the most part, doing those standard checking account transactions. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of that big kind of step up in, in capability is um, when a bank invests in um, providing that kind of integration layer between the ATM directly to the banking system as opposed to just doing the basic uh, checking account transactions. Um, and that investment is what kind of then opens up that box of possibilities. Right? Um, when, when, once you've made that investment and connected into that platform, now you uh, enable that ATM to do to have all the same access to things that the that your mobile app has. Like when you log into your mobile app for your uh, bank or credit union, you're going to see all your accounts there. You're going to see right. if you have an auto loan where it's where it's at. I just paid off mine, so it's now down to zero. And then the next week, nice. my son totaled it, so I've got to get another one. <laughs> um, but uh, but you can see that account there, and, you, and then I can see my mortgage there, and I can see my checking account. Um, and uh, you can't do that on a regular team, but once you can kind of invest in that integration, now you can see that whole uh, arrangement there as well. Um, and it becomes a more uh, um, cohesive experience too. Our customers used to use in their mobile app and they have the, the same experience when they go and they need physical fulfillment as well. It's gonna be a much more cohesive experience. It's gonna feel like this interaction with the same entity as opposed to two totally different things. Right. Um, and they're gonna be able to do uh, anything they need to do at that channel as well, and they're not going to have to require somebody to count money for them because they're going to be able to do all of those transactions on all of their accounts, on all right. of their um, on, on all of their relationship um, through that window, just like they can in the non-cash stuff on their mobile app or on their uh, online banking. Right. Um, and then you know there's that extra layer on top, which kind of provides that video tunnel in. Um, that would be kind of an additional uh, investment too, that really kind of you know finishes off the entirety of the the. Uh, um, capability set where sure. um, now it's not just the full relationship, but it's also kind of the exception cases where right. somebody comes in and they forgot to um, sign, endorse the back of the check and it's a large check. Well, someone can step in and say, oh, wait, you didn't endorse it. Here, I'm going to give it back to you. Endorse it. Now you can give it back and then finish the transaction. Or, right. you know, they want to take $2,000 out because they have a special event that they need to do and you have the uh, withdrawal limit of $500. Somebody comes and says, oh, I just need to validate your ID, Mr. Light, when can I see it? Right. And show the driver's license and they're, okay, got it, here's your money now, and finish the transaction, right? Um, and then that puts you in a place where as a financial institution, you can pretty much do any transaction a customer wants through that through that portal, just right. like you can in, the, in any non-cash transaction through your internet portals. Right, and that opens up a lot of flexibility and resources as well, That's I'm, right. I'm sure. Um, speaking of flexibility and resources, you brought this up, uh, you, you casually in one of your other responses, uh, but the great resignation is still lingering in many industries. Um, there are actually some recent numbers on that. It, I believe it showed somewhere upwards of 4 million people quit their jobs in January of this year. Mm -hmm. And that is only a slight decrease from November of 2021. So yes, the great resignation might be slowly tapering off, but I mean, those numbers are still pretty stark, right? So I'm curious how you see automation technology for bank chains, providing some of that short-term relief as you know, we see folks quit, maybe shift industries, maybe it's a short-term thing and they come back, but there's a ton of uncertainty there. I think you did a great job of laying out the long-term vision of how this helps the workforce, but are there any short-term strategies you recommend here as well? Well, um, you know, there, there's kind of, I guess there's, to use the metaphor again, right, there's two sides of that coin, yep. right? There's, yep. There is the kind of, um, 
organizational element, right? Which is the, you know, the financial institution looking at it and saying, well, you know, um, if I'm having trouble retaining people for this role, but now I put in some of this automation, I'm going to need less people for that role anyway. So um, as people are leaving that particular role and going on and doing other things, um, it provides some relief there as it's not so urgent to have to keep the keep the um, employee population in that role the same because right. you can counteract it with automation capabilities. And the other side of that coin on the employee side is uh, it removes some of the things that make that job not as desirable, right. um, which are things that cause people to leave a job to go to do something different because they're doing things they don't only exactly like to do. Right. Um, and when you take away some of the things that people don't like to do and replace them with things that are a little bit more fun to do, like interact with people more often and help them out and, right. and you know provide the services that they need, provide advice or whatever, um, it becomes a more desirable job and those employers are going to be less likely to leave. Um, so it, it creates uh, a, an employee experience environment as well as a customer experience environment that is better than the kind of the previous non-automated path. Right. Um, so it kind of hits on a couple of different aspects there that would resonate in a, in a time where you know the workforce might be a little bit tough to, to gain resources. It makes it a little a little easier to, uh, it makes it a little kind of less demand for a particular type of resource, but the the, but the folks that you do have working for you, it also makes them a little bit um, less likely to want to look for something else because now you've you've helped to improve their employee experience too. Right, right. All right, Bill, that basically does it for the conversation today, but what I want to do is just open it up here for some closing thoughts. I think we've uh, you've done a good job here of breaking down why the larger digital first banking ecosystem is encouraging an evolution of the drive up. And it's not really even, you know, based on how you described it, adding new layers to the drive up, but it's more of just reimagining what the role of it is in this larger ecosystem that prioritizes convenience in other realms as well. So with all of that context in mind, any final thoughts here, right? Any advice or strategies to leave our audience with to make best use of this burgeoning side of the industry and to um, lock in any changes to the drive up that uh, line up with larger shifts toward digital first banking? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, uh, I think you kind of mentioned it earlier too, it's, it's kind of one piece yeah. of the overall puzzle, right? Um, when, when you're building those, a lot of those capabilities are, they really kind of um, uh, resonate and really kind of you know, uh, add value in that kind of drive up space because they're doing a lot of, they're, they're really taking care of pretty much everything that someone would have driven their car through that vacuum tube um, interaction for. Right. Um, but when you're making those investments to make, to, to add those capabilities, that investment isn't walled off at only the drive through. You can add that, you can use that investment in other places within your um, network as well, whether you have uh, off premise style locations or whether you have. Um, inside your branch, whether you want to add automation, automation inside it as well, those investments carry over, right. um, and it's kind of one piece to an overall digital first puzzle, right? So, uh, it's uh, it, it's really kind of a factor of well, this is the way that we want our customers, what we want to offer these services to our customers. This is the way that we want our customers to to be able to interact with us. Um, here's how we can invest to do that, and one key part that creates a lot of inefficiencies is that kind of needing to have people in that drive up lane all the time and using tech 
technology, for lack of a better word, like a vacuum tube that is physical and mechanical and can break down, especially if those vacuum tubes are, are underneath concrete in the parking lot um, and can be very costly to, to maintain. Now you've got a, a device that's much more self-sufficient that, right. that um, is, is a lot less prone to uh, those types of, of issues, the big kind of um, environmental style issues, maybe a storm knocks out a, a vacuum right. tube or whatever. Um, and also then carries with it the advantage of not having to have a person stationed in every single physical location to do it right. um, and still meeting the needs of your customers in the way that uh, it, with a, basically 100% coverage of those needs. Um, and, and it really kind of creates an environment where now you can that piece of the puzzle is solved. Now you can go and, and solve the rest of the pieces to really kind of pull together that, again, that cohesive experience across all the interactions that makes it uh, makes it a, a, an experience that customers want to keep using that they don't want to walk away from, that makes an experience that your employees want to keep participating in and not want to walk away from, and right. also makes it as operationally efficient as possible. Totally. And, you know, we've mentioned this in other episodes as well, but uh, Investing in this technology sooner than later also allows for um, allows for it to be a core part of strategies for building out new bank chains, right? Because now, correct, if yeah. <laughs> if the entire role of the physical location has changed, you need less staff, but you need the the location to serve very specific human centric needs. Well, then great, you just build it out that way from the start rather than trying to retrofit, replace technology. You have these you know, multi-lane drive-ups that are made for tubes and windows, but how about instead you build out new chains that keep in mind that one or two main ATM-style kiosks have everything you would need, smaller footprint, maybe a more focused design, et cetera. So, well, that's a, that's a great point because you don't need that room in the branch now that has all the VAT tubes coming down right. into it um, where people can you know, go from one to the other and like, you know, that room doesn't need to be there. So exactly. now you have, you have a smaller footprint just by that one single piece of the puzzle that makes it uh, more efficient to build that location or easier to find spots because you need less land to, to put that location in. Yeah, so I, I think the closing message there then is, uh, you know, the sooner that folks can jump on this kind of technology and these kinds of transformations to the larger digital first banking ecosystem, I think uh, the sooner they'll be able to see returns and be able to uh, set that expectation for the customer and almost influence customer behavior in a direction that's beneficial for everyone, where they go to the sure. bank chain only when they need the bank chain. And that's also because the bank chain is designed from the ground up to serve those needs you know, at the best of its capacity. So I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode. So thank you again, Bill Buddy, Vice President of Banking Strategy and Solutions for Hyosung. It's always a pleasure getting to chat and host you here in studio. And I'm glad it's you It's great could, to be here, uh, thanks. Yeah, oh, of course. And um, you know, I'm glad we could pick your brain on this important part of the banking ecosystem. Now, naturally, Hyosung has a lot of solutions and services for this mm -hmm. side of the banking ecosystem and the whole ecosystem at large. So if folks want to get in touch, they want to learn more, maybe they want to start thinking about how to implement some new solutions to their drive up. How can they get in touch and how can they learn more? Well, that's great. The, the, we've got a lot of that information housed on our website, sure. um, heosungamericas.com. I think you mentioned that too. Um, we've got kind of the solution sets and, and, and all the different types of, of hardware and software capabilities we have. And then we've also got a, a lot of kind of, you know, um, content wrapped around it to help kind of 
provide context to how to use certain types of uh, of technology or where it comes in handy or where it's the, the, the most beneficial. Um, beyond just the boxes, the ATMs, but also kind of the, the software um, software platforms right. and the, the, the connectivity into your banking cores and your, your video platforms and all that kind of stuff. Uh, plenty of information out there. Um, also some you know, contact links as well to, to help get in touch with us if you got any follow-up questions. We're happy to sit down and talk with anybody who wants to understand a little bit more. Perfect, love it. All right, Bill, I appreciate your time. Thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure per usual. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of Inspired Banking, a Hyosung podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want some previous episodes or you want more information on how Hyosung can support you in your transformation toward digital first banking, make sure you're heading to our website, hyosungamericas.com. Again, that's hyosungamericas with an S. And you can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Inspired Banking.